Hello, 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 and welcome to the season finale of Let's Build an Airplane. My name is Max Van Arsdal. My name is Eric Goodwin, and on this episode, we'll bring on guest Noah Thornton. Noah is the lead singer of the band Free Mind, and he's pursuing a degree in audio engineering at Iowa Western. Noah's a full-time adventurer, whether it's working on the set for the new Spider-Man movie in Atlanta or performing live music in Lincoln, he can always be found doing something wild. On this episode, we talk about his journey and how he is turning his passion into a career. We hope you guys enjoy listening to this creative, inspiring episode. Let's jump into the conversation. Hey, today we have on Noah <laughs> no, we'll Thornton. Have, no, we'll have that. Yeah, I'm yeah. Noah Thornton. I'm Noah Thornton. <laughs> Noah Thornton's still here. <laughs> still here, still kicking, it's still chilling. Uh... So Noah, what are you passionate about, man? Let's jump right into it. I I'm gonna change my answer. I'm gonna be a wild card. All right. I am. I'll say I'm passionate about feeling, and more importantly, to go off of what I said earlier, like listening to a feeling. To be more specific, okay. I'm gonna hammer this point home and make sure that you guys internalize this. Okay. Um, passionate about feeling something strong, listening to what it's saying and interpreting it into action in your life. That's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about facilitating other people doing it. I'm passionate about holding myself accountable to do it for myself and to provide art that reflects that so that other people can tap into it and then sort of internalize it for themselves. Um, I, I just care, I care very deeply about the way that people perceive stimulus to be abstract. Like I, I care a lot about the way people see things and the way that they interpret it in their head. And I care a lot about the way people hear things and the way that they interpret it in their head. And I kind of feel a calling that is geared towards creating things that reflect that, which again is sort of abstract, but you know, we have, we'll be kicking it for a second. Uh, I just, I, it, like my teacher went on a rant a couple weeks ago and was talking about how most people only hear music the way that they they listen to music in a mall, which is you only hear the main idea. And his example was um, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. And he's like, you can okay. only hear her voice in the mall. You can't hear anything else. But when you listen to that thing, that song with headphones, you are deeply submerged into like a really personal song, like a, an experience and like an, like an ethos and like a, a consciousness, a space that... Um, that somebody created from scratch. It's like nuts. And, but like the, the point is most people only ever hear and I, like faintly yeah. kind of in the corner of a mall. Like, and that's what they think music is. And his, um, his metaphor that he connected it to, he's like, it's the same thing as if somebody went to a movie theater and sat facing the projector. So like you're looking at the movie being Played, but you're not watching the film. You're not getting any of the information of the film. You're watching the film being projected behind you, but you're never internalizing the story or the characters or the visuals, and it's a visual medium. So like you're not, oh. you're not looking at the movie, yeah. essentially. So when you're not listening to music, his, his thesis essentially was that you, know, you, 
are shorting yourself of all of these uh, experiences and emotions that you can just literally trigger for yourself at any given moment for three, four minutes, whatever it is. And, um, you know, the same way that you have, like, a particular movie that you watch if you just want to be comfy at, like, home or whatever, I know you have a song that is tied to the exact same feeling. You know what I mean? People underestimate that, and I think people are a lot more likely to get a nicer TV than they are a nicer speaker system nowadays. And I don't know why, because I think that music is widely accessible and it's free, mm. but for some reason people don't care about the way they listen to music. But they care about the way they watch TV a lot. And they will constantly bitch about their life if they have a small TV. And it's all about I, the screen. I know. But the thing is, is like when you hear your favorite song on a pair of really nice speakers, you are literally, you change your state. Like you're physically changed. Like you're in a different place mentally than you were before you listened to it. It's energy. It's literally energy. It's waves. So it, it you know, for me, just on a personal level, just in my life, I'm always constantly like, get over to your headphones. Please get monitors. Listen to your music louder. It's like 200 bucks. Not that expensive. Like, just do it. <laughs> mm. I bought my girlfriend, Kate, a pair of headphones for, I think, either Christmas or her birthday last year. And she was texting me all night that night and was like, I'm listening to these songs for the first time. Like, I'm hearing things that I've never heard. Wow. Like, the delays that I was talking about on vocals, on instruments that are like in sync with the music. When you put it on a streaming service like SoundCloud, that's free, it's free because it compresses the shit out of it so that it's a smaller file size, which gets rid of all of the delays. Well, not all of them, but the cool part of the delays, the reverbs, all of the effects, everything that the person that made the song was like making and they're like, oh fuck, that's dope. That part's sick. You're losing all of it. So you're losing the point of the song when you don't listen to it correctly. Yeah. It's the same, it's like going to a movie theater and then the movie theater is like in 240p, you know, like it's like pixels and you're like not even seeing the movie, but you're, you know, you can hear it kind yeah. of and you can get the you, shapes. You know what's going on. You know what's but... going on, but you're not seeing it. Mm -hmm. Like the first time you look at a 4K TV, you're like, holy shit, things can look like that? That's <laughs> yeah. nuts. Yeah. And so like, I, the same goes for audio. Like when you hear high fidelity audio for the first time loud and it doesn't matter, you're not like bothering anybody, you're like, this is tough. Um, and it's important. So I think, I think was the question. I think I'm still on the what am I passionate about question. Yeah. But um, I mean, you could tell. It's like I, I, I just I know so intimately what good sound, good visuals, the combination of the two, whether it be more visual or more sound. I know what it can do to your emotional state, and I know sort of just through experience that your emotional state is your reality at every any given moment. So if you're always either trying to make a cool space from scratch or are immersed in one that you already find cool, that you are never really thinking about anything. You're just kind of existing. And I think that's kind of a, a, the sweet spot. To, it's almost a meditative state, it seems like. It's flow state, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're becoming one with something else. And um, I, people don't like to do that. They don't like to surrender control a lot. I don't really know why. Um, Here. It is fear. It totally is fear. I think most people are really scared. Mm -hmm. A voice inside your head's a wicked one. I feel like on <laughs> the other side, just before you get... Um, I feel like uh, the like, people, like artists and shit, or just anybody that does a crazy job, they're constantly scared. 
Like, they just, yeah. like, they take on a job where you're just like, oh, I'm going to do what scares me the most every single day. Yeah, yeah. So. It, you know, yeah, fear. And just, like, but the thing is, too, though, like, to be in control of your state and to realize that fear is almost just, like, a physical response to a thought mm-hmm. and being mindful of that and sort of not allowing any f- not entertaining the idea of fear overcoming what you know to be true past fear because it's very it's a temporary emotion it's a it's you know fear and pain and and like being low is always temporary there's never there's no person that has only felt low their entire life and i'm saying that because you can only know that you're low if you've experienced the high so like you are only aware of an opposite if you've encountered and experienced and been immersed in its opposite. So you can't feel low unless you felt high and you can't feel high unless you felt low. You know what I mean? And um, to me, like music and film has always been something that can manipulate that process and sort of just insert good vibes in this place. Because when you watch a movie, like when you watch a movie in terms of like why they're shooting at certain angles and why they're using certain like lighting and when you're listening to music to see like why they made the decisions on what instruments would be in the song, what they would talk about, how their voice would interact. So like when you're listening to what was made and you're watching what was made and you're experiencing it, you tap into who made it. And I think that, you know, your favorite artist, whether it be film, music or, you know, painting or whatever, you become a part of their consciousness whenever you experience their art and I think that's such a cool thing like to me it's the only thing that matters really I don't really care about anything else but it makes me like a better person in like every way to know that that's true and um, you know my life has just sort of been a series of short-sighted strategies to get to a point where I feel like I'm doing it in a, in a way that is at least impacting me and making me better than myself yesterday, which is a cool thing. So I'd love for, just recently you actually had a concert with your band, Free Mind, which yeah. we both loved. Um, it was a great performance. And so I'd love for you to talk about the process mm-hmm. of how you got to becoming lead singer of a band um, <laughs> from coming in. How did, how did um, you get there? I auditioned it. It was a dream that came to now. I, um, Showed up and they just wanted me. Just two calls, man. No, I don't know. Free mind is a strange. (laughs) Free mind is a strange uh, phenomenon because it happened by accident and it happened sort of just organically. I had made music, just like in my bedroom, really badly for an extended period of time. Um, I went to. I forget that. uh, I went to Lincoln. Um, I went to Lincoln for a couple years. Um, I was a part of the journalism school here and just like didn't get much fulfillment from it for just the fact that I wasn't creating anything and I was covering things. I just really bothered me for some reason. And I had like written down in this notebook specifically if I really look for it, like why are you filming other people when you ought to be filmed? Which is a, a horribly narcissistic thing to say. But at the end of the day, it's sort of, you know, why are you making other people look good when you can just take all this energy and effort and just make yourself look good and then build something mm-hmm. off of that. That just made sense to me. It never made sense to do it for other people. Um, and so 
I went to Atlanta for a summer and worked on on Spider-Man Homecoming, which was an opportunity, um, (laughs) which was an opportunity that literally only came because I I called uh, a a guy that my mom's coworker used to be married to who gave me the phone number of an extras casting assistant in Atlanta that did, you know, all of the background work in film for the Marvel movies, not just every film (laughs) for the uh, for Marvel movies so like when you're watching like those Marvel sequences when they're in cityscapes and there's like hundreds of people I remember very vividly um there was um I'm kind of glossing over this I suppose I should probably dive into this um I drove down to Atlanta in the summer before my sophomore year because I was afforded the opportunity basically to collect extra cell phones on set it came from this like wonderfully nice a uh, woman, Tammy, who, like, offered me her apartment in her basement, who, like, gave me a, a job and, like, didn't require anything of me apart from being passionate and then showing up, which was, I was incredibly, you know, fortunate for it. And it was something that it was, like, borderline uncomfortable. It worked out so well. It was something that I always was, like, what the fuck is going on right now? This is almost uncomfortable how well, or how I perceive it, to be well, it's working out right now. Um, and, um, you know, I, I worked on Spider-Man just collecting extra cell phones before the beginning of every day because they don't allow you to take pictures or make phone calls on set because they're that paranoid about something getting out, which was, to me, so strange because it was like, really, you, get that much, you care that much about, like, a photo? See, but I also can feel like people are ready to take photos. Oh yeah, dude. And here's the thing. You know what's upsetting? It's all about being you Instagram know, Here's the thing. It's like I was like, no. Like it's before fucked. I worked, I was like, that's absurd that they would even like need it. That everybody tried to take a picture. Like people would try to get, be like, hey, I gotta call my wife. She's in the hospital. And then they, they just you know, to they, get like, a picture. Their phone back, and then they like try to have a picture. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? You stop. Like I'm trying to be the cool guy. I'm trying to be the cool security yeah. PA right now. And you know whatever. Um, people get sued for that. Actually, I know of. A couple people that like got kicked off set and like got legal action pursued against them because they like got their phone like they was like pointing in the wrong direction because you sign away your life when you become an extra on <laughs> a movie set. Um, Jeez, yeah, it's absurd. Um, uh, You're talking a little bit about like filming the the giant cityscape. Um, oh yeah, uh, so like in Spider Man yeah. specifically when he's on the. Uh, he's like stopping somebody on a bike and the bike's going down the city street and he like stops the bike and then like ties the guy up to a web and the guy shoots off and he's like, do you want your bike? Uh, I remember very vividly that being a scene on a street where they didn't do a very good job of like controlling the people walking in and like I was talking to people as if I was watching them film this movie from the outside and they, it was like something that like made their day. And I was at work fulfilling, a, like, a duty that was mostly, like, watching. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, more so sort of experiencing it than actually doing anything impactful on the set. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> no, but I just remember, like, the, the mysticism of film after that day, to me, just was shot. It was just gone. And for whatever reason, it didn't feel good. Like, it wasn't something that I was proud of. Or, and I was certainly not happy that it went away because film is this thing that should be mystical. It's not a thing that you should know intimately how it's made because we realize that these work 
weeks are 60, 70 hour weeks and the people are the same people that are showing up to the set every day to film, you're like, these people are fucking tired. And they like borderline don't want to be here at all. And it's not because they don't like what they do, but it's because it's a 60, 70, like you still job. all you do, you don't get to see yeah, your I mean, family. Yeah, I mean, to get paid, you know. Yeah. And they Dream get paid, like they're all union, they totally get paid, but like, you know, you take three months and, you know, you're not seeing your family mm-hmm. at all. There were days where I didn't see the sunlight because I would like, in the second go around when I was on the originals. Um, Wait, I, what's the originals? It's a vampire TV spinoff of the Vampire Diaries. Uh, twice as good. <laughs> um, lovely show, lovely people. I get like a lot of nostalgia when I think about that show actually now. That was the, so I came back to Lincoln for my sophomore year after Spider-Man, which was a fantastic experience. And I just kind of was wandering around. I know I didn't want to kind of stay at the J school. I knew that creation was what I wanted to do. I didn't have any real outlet though to do it because I, the Spider-Man gig was something that was like, this woman's going to show me how film works and then I'm just going to take that as an education, which was what it was. It was perfect. It was everything I needed. She was more than kind in doing what she did. But when I got back to Lincoln, I was like, this isn't this gray. It's grayscale. It's not good enough. I, I love the people, but this place is sucking the life out of me. And it's not because the place is bad. It's because my heart is still in the place that I was mm-hmm. three months ago, Atlanta. six months ago. Yeah, because of that amazing experience. Definitely. Yeah, and... I, and um, I remember calling her one night and we'd like talked for an hour, two hours, just kind of about life. And like, I was at the end of it, I was like, is this a realistic thing that I'm, that I come down there, get a job on some set, take classes, try to act. And she's, and I was like, is this realistic? She's like, no, it's not, but it's been done before. And I believe that you can do it. So if you want to do it, it's open for you to do it. And, um, I remember just kind of being like, all right, well, I guess this is the grind part of being an artist, you know, yep. just kind of settling into this super uncomfortable feeling of just like walking into the void of like, literally, I don't know where I'm going to live in two months. I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know what is going to happen mm-hmm. even. And, um, you know, I said goodbye to everybody over the course of the summer and it was like horribly emotional it was it was something that like this is the second time you're going to Atlanta this is the time that I'm like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna be there forever is what I thought post Spider-Man just get everyone up post Spider-Man and post just being sort of in a space that I was uncomfortable with the outcome Mm -hmm. I just didn't there was no fulfillment for me here and it was again a lovely group of people that I was surrounded with every day but it just wasn't something that I was going to be proud of doing if I kept doing it so I know I had to I knew I had to leave I didn't know what the plan was so I remember I had like the tr- at the um, bench that sort of like is around the tree at Arcall like by Arcall you know yeah. what I'm talking about here on campus yeah I I hung up the phone with Tammy, the extras casting assistant, that got me all that work with the conversation of, like, it's not realistic, but it's possible. And I called my mom immediately after on that bench and was like, I'm, I'm going to go. And she, the first thing that she said was, good. Really? Because she knew that nothing was happening here that 
she knew that's what she wanted she to do. That's what I wanted. So that was comforting to hear, but that happened in like February or March. So it was like five months where I was just constantly thinking about the fact that I was going to be in a city that I'd barely lived in before by myself. And like, this was going to be the start of like the story that like, it's, you know, my story. This you know, is the, the one you like journey. present on a podcast or something. The one yeah. that you present on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a very convenient exposition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, so and I, I just was blank the rest of the semester. Went through the summer at the Rush House, Rush U. Um, convinced you to live in. Yep. Thank God. Um, Thank God. <laughs> No, but just kind of did that almost like off the cuff. Like I wasn't even like uh, voted on to do it. I just like was in the closet at the Rush House. So I was like, I can help if he was like, because it's Tanner was the Rush chair. And he's like, we don't have enough time to get this task done. And I'm like, no, nah, it's okay, dude. I'll take care. Like, what do you need? I'll, get, I'll take some kids out to dinner. And eventually they just ended up um, making being, you an honorary member. Really. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Which was super dope. Got to meet a lot of. It was the coolest summer ever. But then you know you, I remember like on my drive to Atlanta, I was not happy. I was so sad. I was so sad, like powerfully sad. I was like, why am I feeling like this? This is like the thing that is going to start everything. I should be excited. Never like constant not. And I don't like. Maybe that was a sign. I was totally a sign. It was yeah. a, it was literally like a physical reaction to like a decision mm-hmm. that I was like feeling. Uh, so I did the I did stand in acting on the originals, which um, essentially is the uh, crew will come in and mark spots on the floor where the actors are going to hit. They will light the marks on the floor, and then you go through those marks, and they will make sure that everything is you know cool for the actors to come in and then just do their thing, so they don't have to like worry about it. Uh, so the actors would basically just get there, do the thing, you know, do four or five takes, 30, 45 minutes, go back to the dressing room, and then we go to the next space, and I would do the lighting for that, take like 45 minutes, an hour, or whatever, and they get different angles. But the jobs that I had in Atlanta all were geared around just watching, because I would do stuff for a very short period of time, and then just watch. And it was such an invaluable film education, because uh, like the way that you should be taught film is that, is to not... Like, yes, you should be making films, absolutely. It's the only way to get better at something is to make them, but to, like, understand the ethos of what goes on to make a movie is important. It's really important because it's, in a lot of ways, very fundamental team building. It's everybody serves a very specific function to get a very difficult abstract task done, and it's important... I think that I was submerged in that early because I, I understood that even these grandiose, abstract, artistic concepts that are in my head right now require a very large group of people, of other people, strangers most of the time, to actually get it done. And you need to be able to communicate that across the board, especially from, because I'd always wanted to be a director. That was always like my thing deep that even like hid behind acting like I threw acting up as like a defense mechanism but the reality was I wanted to be a still director. think you're chasing that director I was chasing the director but it's almost like the director's like oh you want to be director nice like you know, yeah hmm, whatever because it's so abstract like you know there's no directing school it's like you the director is the person that knows how to do everything 
to the point where they can communicate what they want done. And that was always something that I wanted to do. I always wanted to know a little bit about everything and then be able to communicate what I wanted to other people. That's what I think a CEO does. It's a CEO thing. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's sort of what that is. Yeah, like yeah. It's the same yeah. concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The CEO of a film. Of, I mean, a, of a mood. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's just something I... So I threw... I did... I, I still do want to act. I do... I think about it a lot. But I think I just sort of realized that it wasn't the thing that was going to get me to the the mental state that I was okay with. I just didn't like it enough to have that be the grind thing that I did. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because yeah. you got to love the grind. I ha You have to love the grind. I hated the grind of acting yeah. so much. It made me so sad. Because you're just constantly... Well, I was constantly just pandering to who I knew I was to get people's oh. approval and constantly saying things that were just like things that I knew other people wanted to hear. And even though it sometimes works, I just, it didn't, it was the same thing that I got at the J school. Just was like, it's not me. It's not mm -hmm. even necessarily that I don't like it or that I look down on it. It's, it's not me. And I'd like require that for some reason. Uh, and so it really wasn't, you know, I I'd always made music when I was in Atlanta to sort of cope with the fact that I was just by myself entirely because I didn't like go out on the weekends yeah. or anything. So you're looking for something to do. Yeah, I mean, it was just something to do that I knew that would, like, eventually bring a happy feeling. So, like, um, I remember I was just, like, it never took it seriously as a concept that was something that was going to drive my future. Like, I never thought of it as, like, I always thought it was so out there that it wasn't worth even, like, entertaining the idea of. Yeah. And then I... I, I eventually got to a place in Atlanta where I was going to be without a home, without a job, and out of school in Lincoln because I took six credit hours online just to kind of get by the loan process of it. Jeez. So I was essentially, so I was like, I kind of need to go back to school because I'm going to have student loans to pay off. Also, I don't have a house. Also, I don't have a job to pay for it. Also, am I going to get a serving job at a restaurant in Atlanta and like try to balance acting classes with that? Also, are acting classes the thing that makes you an actor? Are you an actor after you take acting classes? How am I going to get an audition? If I don't go back to school, I have to start paying my student loans off, which is like, you know, $200 a month on top of all of the other bills I have. So how am I going to pay for that? How am I going to survive as a human being? And also, like, how the fuck am I going to be growing as a person in this whole process? Yeah. If all I'm doing is putting energy and effort into surviving. And I just remember it was just like at a point I was like, always I had in the back of my head that other people were going to think I was a piece of shit for coming back because I had so kind of, I talked it up so much because the, the ceiling was so high with the opportunity that I just was like, this could go anywhere. And I think that people looked at who I was and the way that I had interacted with them in the past and were like, you can do it, dude. Like, got this and I believed it I really did think that I got it it wasn't that I got down there and didn't think that I was good enough it's I just like wasn't I was so unhappy all the time I was like looking at my friends experiencing life and then me sort of like in this pseudo grind of being like unhappy and constantly working but also like not really bettering myself anyway like I was like yeah. not Which really I was yeah. standing acting, but I was not acting. I was yeah. not taking clubs, taking all of my time. I was not getting paid enough. <laughs> so it's like all of these things go into the sort of this 
been in my head that are like sounds like a big ball of stress it's yelling just fucking go home and chill for a second like just chill just clear your mind because like, like every you know if you think about it in the terms of my life like I moved out of my childhood home that I lived in my entire life to beta <laughs> like my freshman year which was a hard enough transition as it is experience that go to Atlanta from that all summer, come back to beta, experience like genuine disinterest in everything I'm doing, go back to Atlanta, have such a low point and such a palpable, deep, low feeling every day that I'm like, fuck this, I gotta go back and then go back. So like every spring I'm moving and it's a big deal. And like I'm saying goodbye to people and I'm crying and I'm like experiencing loss like every year at the same time. I'm anxious every day in this period since yeah. my birthday for no reason now because I'm chilling. But like for the last basically four years, it has been such a rapid state of flux and change that like I like Pavlovian dogged myself into like thinking that something's going to happen. You're like making a huge change. Yeah. yeah. And I am kind of now, but as summer's coming approach, you feel like the big change. Yeah, and like Gage Ruse, who I roomed with here in Beta two years ago, and I are getting an apartment. I'm so stoked. I'm so like ready for that change. Like I'm excited for that change because I know that we're gonna facilitate. Yeah, dude, we're gonna facilitate each other's growth, and it's gonna be very fun. And like the thing is, like the the grind aspect of it, you kind of you have to be a certain percent comfortable with it. You have to be uncomfortable with the thing, the actions that you take, but you also have to be happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't just be like. You gotta enjoy the steps. Yeah, you can't you be like, I'm going to Atlanta, and this is it, bye, and then be like just grinding your teeth every day life. through seventy-hour weeks. It's just not imagine. the way that we're wired. Like you can't do it that way. Yeah. If you're hating your life every day, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. And like, yeah. just, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but it's not the, the correct. Answer. And the thing is too is like at the and. You know, I've experienced depression my entire life. When I got to Atlanta for whatever reason, it got so sharp because it was like, dude, what are you doing mm-hmm. here? Like, what are you doing? You made two phone calls and it was cool last summer, but like, what the fuck are you doing here still? You know what I mean? Like the type of thing that's like uh, a regret of a decision that has just been made. And it's the dirtiest feeling. And it's... Um, and it's not even something that I can say confidently like overcame, but I understand it now, which is something that I I was just immersed in. I was not never mindful. I was never disciplined really in anything because I was just going to work all the time. So I was just in this like flux and purgatory of like having stimulus, but not really getting anything from it. And also I'm alone, and also like I'm sad just generally, um, which is a bummer. But I came back and like. You know, I worked for a year and ended up deciding to go to Iowa Western because I just didn't want to pay my loans off was literally the only reason I went there. That and the fact that I knew a kid that had gone there said it was good. So I was like, that's better than nothing. I like music. <laughs> it's a good reform. Um, and I remember like the first couple of weeks of being in school there, I was taught music in a way that I'd never thought about it before in terms of how it's a space. So you're um, currently going there for music? I'm going there for audio engineering right now, which is essentially like a, it's a two-year bachelor's or two-year associate's program. Uh, it's like all-encompassing audio, live sound, studio work. 
um, just literally anything that has to do with a, a signal that needs to be processed, mm -hmm. which can be filmed too, like sound and film mixing, like sound effects or whatever. But um, my teacher at Iowa Western taught me that music is 3D space, meaning that like it exists on three axes. So like the x-axis uh, is left to right yeah. in terms of the pan, like on the mixing console. So like you can decide whether uh, the, so like in stereo, there's two signals and you're basically turning one down. If you turn it left, you're turning the right down. So you're only hearing the left. Mm -hmm. So if you have earphones on, you're only hearing it out of the left. Mm -hmm. So that's that idea from left to right. And then the y-axis is like frequency. So the, the floor would be like the sub and then like bass. Cause like when you're like in a house that's playing like trap shit, you can feel it in the floor. Yeah, like for sure. Subby bass, you feel can it feel in your it. Body too. Yeah. Yeah, and then like Vibrations. the high frequencies are like what you hear, like a like a dog whistle or like a like yeah. something really screechy. So that's up and down. So you have up down, left to right, and then the depth is the volume. Um, so if you're like close to the mic it sounds like you're closer but if you're farther away from the mic it sounds quieter and you perceive it to be further away from the source um the microphone that is so you essentially have that control of turning something up or down to make something to make the perception of something deeper in a room of any given room so like this room or a cathedral hall or a, like an open street or whatever maybe and so, like, when that was explained to me, it, it sort of dawned on me that music is just, like, theoretical interior design. Like, it's, you're theoretically designing a 3D space, but it's made to be experienced with your eyes closed. And that, to me, is so That's dope. a sick line. Yeah, that kind of blew <laughs> my mind a little it's bit. So, it's so because, like, the, it frees you. It's, it's not so much what do I want this to sound like. It's what space do I want this listener to be in when he or she closes mm -hmm. their eyes. And so it, it sort of opened up the, or it sort of bridged the connection of film and music because to me, film had been the physical space that I was chasing, but it was not uh, abstract, and, or not that, not that it wasn't abstract, but that it wasn't, you can watch a movie and not be immersed in it, but if you're listening to a song, you're immersed in it. It's 100% gonna be a thing that you're immersed in. It's energy and it takes over your senses. Like if you're listening to music loud, you can't talk to anybody and you can't think. Yeah, all you all hear is- Which thing. is my preferred state. <laughs> I don't like to do either, <laughs> so I'm good. Um, uh, and so for like the free mindset, which happened this last week, um, which I have to shout out Gage, <clears throat> Uh, Maru's John Pfeiffer and Jesse Rude because we pulled a set out of our ass. Really? Because it was an we, awesome set. I appreciate it. It was you, great. It, but it only happened because we felt the same energy together at the same moment, which is what music should be. And I think I experienced it for the first time this last week. But when we were sort of designing what we wanted the sound or the songs to look like, we, I, I was essentially drawing 3D spaces or describing 3D spaces in terms of like, like I played this little, this little sound clip at the beginning that was a flight attendant on a, like a plane giving a safety briefing. And I was like, how cool would it be if the start of this concert was in the space of like an airplane seat before you take off? It's the most exciting thing that you can have. And you know, someone's droning about a safety briefing that 
ultimately no one listens to you on the plane and probably no one actually perceived or heard in the actual yeah, concert. That, I, I it was know. the first it was the first thing that I played and I didn't really even expect anybody to listen to it because that yeah. was the point. Like mm-hmm. that was the you know, that was kind of the the idea. And um and it immediately set off inspiration for the first song and that we wrote that, you know, in in a day or two. And we really wrote ten or eleven songs and every like one a day for 10 days or 11 days um damn that's a grind it really is <laughs> dude, it, yeah, actually it, a grind. Was, it was like you enjoyed it on stage it was that. weird because i remember in my notebook uh, like a week before we actually you know got our thick because it's just it's hard especially when you're the three other band members aren't audio engineering degrees and they're going to school for something else and they're yeah. at the end of the year and they have to work on other stuff for all day and so, you know, I, I didn't expect them to pull four or five songs from the ether, you know what I mean? Like, I, I essentially sat down with them and played them a bunch of just fragments of things, just like random ideas that I played or that I had made earlier or in like the last year or whatever, most of which that I like hadn't been comfortable enough showing anybody, but I was like, dude, we got to show in a week, we got to go through everything. And um, we, we ended up taking these ideas that I had put in to a ripped version of Logic and like put a heart and like brain and soul into them, which was only possible because it was a collaborative thing. And it seems like you thrive in a collaborative environment. Well, it was strange because I I hated the idea of collaborating with people musically because I was like, this is my idea and it's going to be my idea forever. (laughs) And that's such a stupid thing because like when you open yourself up to creative collaboration, you open yourself up to that experience of holy shit, these three guys took these things that I didn't even like, and now we have a set that we're going to perform in front of our friends and family. Mm. It's, like, strange. Creative collaboration is one of the coolest ideas, I think, it's so, ever. It's, Me and Max love talking about it. It's, uh, uh... Yeah. But, and it's, like, so this inherent... This is a creative collab space. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in here. I mean... <laughs> Definitely. It's, like, nobody... It's always inc- uncomfortable, though, to do it. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, super. I yeah. feel like to sacrifice any of, like... Um, creativity on anything is all, a little weird. Yeah. But, you know, I Which think it's of, for the better, though. Yeah, and it goes back to sort of the director instinct that I had always felt, which was I want to be in charge of everything, but I don't want to do everything. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> is sort of like, okay, yeah, nice, find a job that does that. Sick, dude. It's like a CEO that. mindset. Yeah, yeah, but in a... In a in a creative environment, it just like pulls on your insecurities a little bit harder because it's like what you value instead of sort of like what is objectively the right thing to do in a situation. And you know, again, we just we made that week free mind week, and we didn't think about anything other than that. And then um, it was funny because when I looked like at the videos from the concert, I it looked like I was physically uncomfortable, but like in that moment performing, you did not it was like, like that. I didn't feel uncomfortable. I might like, that's not, the it was just strange. Um, it was just strange that, what's up? Uh, it was strange to like take the, again, sort of like the, the mysticism off of the music aspect of it instead of film, because mm-hmm. I'd done it with film, but music, when you like perform in front of a group of people, especially like my mom had never heard me play live. Yeah. And so that's like a pressure that's strange, like strangely specific, because it's like, it's forcing you to sort of decide who you are in a given moment. Because you're expressing like your true vulnerabilities with music. Yeah, well, especially like when you're, because like most of the 
lyrics of the songs I have are pretty, not melodramatic, but definitely they're not meant to make you happy. They're sort of extensions of this strange, trippy, weird space. So they're sort of meant to be trippy thoughts rather than like, I suppose like the, the lyrics that I was trying to go for were like random brain synapses instead of like developed thoughts. Yeah. Which were... Like streams of consciousness. Yeah, streams of consciousness. emotion. Yeah, 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 streams of consciousness. So it was like, I got up there and I started seeing, I was like, fuck man, I've never like had to do this. I've always just tapped yeah. into other people's streams of consciousness, yeah. but I'm having to tap, and I totally blanked for the whole hour. And it's weird um, because the last song came up and I was like, this isn't the last song. I've been here for like five minutes. And I looked at the clock and I'm like, no, we've been here for like 40, like 45 which was just so strange. It's like addicting. I and mean, like all, I just, Oh yeah. I, know what you mean. I definitely want to take a minute and like absorb what I gained from writing all of it in such a short period of time and like process it and also just kind of create freely again, instead of having to be on a deadline. But I definitely, I get now that you have to set up an adversive deadline to get anywhere past what you're comfortable with. Cause when you set up a deadline, and you're like, fuck, I'm not ready for that at all. You, like, the stuff that you do in the seven days before that deadline that you're not ready for is ultimately the only thing that you need to do. That's kind of what you figure out. And that has to do with, like, planning a concert or, like, doing homework or, like, a test. Any type of deadline. You never study really. for a test on time, but you're always fine. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, and it's the same thing with, like, a concert. It's like, if you scheduled this concert and you made the plans to make this concert, it means that deep down you know that you can do it. Like, of course. So you're gonna find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. and it's like the it's the process of of taking away the the like what the fuck am I gonna do to get this done that ultimately makes you like a better person. And um, I'm just really happy that I got the first performance out of the way because like all the weird kind of um, insecure feelings I was really I was hyper nervous before that yeah. show and I didn't really get nervous before Backpacking Black either year um, just because you're not I mean you're, you're playing covers playing covers it's different, different. Yeah. yeah and um, you know exactly what you're going to do every it's time. happened to yeah a different part of of myself and I think that it's like one of those things you know where you find a part of yourself that's like ooh this is pretty cool I like this and people like it for some reason I remember like my eyes were closed for most of it just because uh, I'm socially awkward, but, like, I opened my eyes a few times, and, like, people were, like, kind of vaguely swaying to yeah. whatever song it was, and I just, like, remember, I remember thinking, like, you did your job. Like, you're making the move. Like, they would come to your show for sure to humor you, but, like, the moving is them sort of being, like, yeah, this is pretty good. And, like, that to me they was, like... They were in the moment. Yeah. They were in the moment. And even to be, like, this is pretty good. Like, it was pretty decent. Like, that to me was, like, poof, okay, yeah, we'll take that. I'll cash that in right now. Yeah. I'll take good enough. Um, and so, yeah, the, it's, uh, it's fun for me to think about sort of what the next step is in, like, what's the next decision, the next deadline that I set up that's going to make me uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Which is cool, and um, it's very uncomfortable, but it's something that I have, like, been, become friends with, that feeling of, like, how are we going to do that? Like, what is going to happen to do this? I don't know, but we're going to do it. And even if I do it wrong and fuck up, then at least I'll know exactly how not to do it. Which, to me, that was Atlanta in a nutshell. Like, you're going to 
essentially make major life moves on the basis of your ego telling you that your face is symmetrical enough to be on a screen and say lines. I'd no, never acted before. Like it was, mm -hmm. it was not a, a rational or uh, practical decision, but I don't regret it because I felt like I needed to and I now know sort of in context after like a year and a half of processing it that I couldn't be where I am now without just like exhausting myself of every other option. You know, because you get back from Atlanta the second time and you're not in school in Lincoln and everybody's like on their momentum. And, uh, you know, you're like, well, let's get a nose ring and go to community college and I guess we'll figure it out along the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you don't stop judging yourself eventually. What do you think is like, because I mean, you just previously mentioned how you've been through a lot of hardships, especially, you know, going to Atlanta, not really finding what you wanted, coming back to Lincoln, eventually figuring out what you wanted. I mean, what kind of advice would you give some of the listeners that are listening to this episode? Fuck right? up, man. Just, just fail. <laughs> it's so fun to be like, oh, that wasn't it. Sorry. I'm like, close the door and just kind of go to the next one. I don't know. It's, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, <sighs> yeah. Like, the, the real advice that I would give you and, a thing that all of my roommates that I live with in Beta, uh, John Pfeiffer, Gage Marus, Griffin Mims, uh, Griffin gets specific enjoyment out of this game, but <laughs> whenever we meet somebody that we perceive to be emotionally intelligent, we ask them the question, what do you want to do with your life? And we ask them to give us three answers. And um, we found sort of 85, 90% of the time, the third thing that someone says is the thing that they want to do because they'll sneak it in but they won't be the first two things because it, you know, it'll be something along the lines of like financial consulting, insurance adjusting, photographer. And you're like, what's the, that photography one doesn't fit in with anything you just said. Yeah, you, uh, yeah it's about, a little different. What do you want to do about that? And, um, and ultimately it's an intuition, it's a feeling, it's an emotion that it's a physical response to a thought that makes somebody say that and also makes them keep feeling it because the third thing is always something that has existed for a while, that has always existed. And um, my advice is to make a list of three things and pick the third thing that is absurd, that's stupid because ultimately you're never gonna be happy unless you're doing the thing that you don't think is practical. Because the thing I think for humans, I just, in general, is that you sort of have to set up an adversarial relationship with yourself at some point to get to a spot of like emotional evolution. And like you have to tell yourself that you're gonna be uncomfy and that it's gonna suck. Mm -hmm. Like you have to tell yourself that, which is a weird sort of reverse psychology thing that you have to do to yourself. But ultimately, it, you, you get to a place where you realize that doing something because of practicality and doing something because it's the rational thing to tell your grandparents at Christmas is 100% the quickest way to live an unfulfilled life. And it's, uh, it's making decisions because of what other people perceive you to be instead of making a decision off of what you know to be true. And it's like, when you set up that adversarial relationship with yourself and you sort of 
slowly begin to overcome it and you begin to have like harmony in your life, you know, you, from my perspective, like for example, like I go to audio engineering school and I love every second of it. Like today, we literally talked about genres for two hours, what they meant, why they're considered to like be a thing, mm -hmm. why people even think about music in genres, like why do we do that? And it was like mind opening, like I never thought about it. It's just like stuff like that happens every week. And to me, you know, a person that's going to Lincoln that's doing a major that they're not fully passionate about, it's fucking ridiculous to me. I'm like, what, why, why? Just pick something that you like. To me, it's like, you know what you want to do. Like when somebody says, oh, I don't know, it's like, yes, you do. You, you just do. don't want to admit it. And mm -hmm. it's not like, it's not like anybody that has ever done anything cool didn't feel that same thing where it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. And it's like, yeah, I know you don't know. It's like if you, if you didn't want a surprise out of your life, then what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, of course you're not going to know. That's the whole point. Like Alan Watts says this beautiful, beautiful piece about how if you knew exactly what was going to happen in your life, plotted out in a book, and you read it, what would be the point of you existing after that? Like, you exist that you can surprise yourself. And, you know, the coolest way to do that is to set up adversarial deadlines of things that you know you're passionate about so that you can just know that you said that you did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um... It, it, really, it really bugs me when people's lives are intentionally not a surprise, when they make it planned. I hate that. I really hate that. I don't yeah. hate it. I don't hate them. I hate that idea. It's the, like, my, it's the antithesis of what I am to know exactly what's going to happen. So that's my, my advice is to just expect your life to be a surprise and just act in a mindful way of what you know you're passionate about, which is not a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. It's a very personal thing that you have to do, but it's a personal decision that you can do. You know what I mean? Like me being in audio engineering school and being and happy, fulfilled at this moment is not a, a, an outcome of just happenstance or random action. It was a very conscious struggle with steps along this very long, grueling road of no sleep and no food and, you know, no job or whatever. And um, I wouldn't trade in for a thing. Like, I just don't understand. Like, in the last five years, if I was just sitting on a, you know, a comfy couch and drinking good booze, I, it would have been cool, it would have been comfortable, and it would have been warm. But ultimately, like... I preferred to be cold for a short period of time so that I could appreciate what it meant to be warm instead of just being warm all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel that. And, um, you know, having experienced what I have in the last three years, just going to Atlanta, being in school that I wasn't passionate about, being in just sort of a mind space that I wasn't proud of, um, I know exactly what feeling low feels like which makes feel like today I literally sat in my bedroom at home, watched this zombie movie that's in Korean. Like it wasn't even in English. I don't know what any of the characters deals were besides what they did. 
and I just had the window open and like my cat would come, it was like wander outside and I'd hear him run around and then he'd come in and lay on like my stomach. It was the best day I've had in like a week. And it's like that, like my ability to just be like, fuck it, today's a Korean movie day is like, when you know exactly what feeling low looks like, it takes a very minimal amount of stimulus to be like, this is pretty good, pretty comfortable right now. I'm like very content. Um, and so like sleeping in the closet of the rush house or not having a job in Atlanta or being homeless basically in Atlanta, like planning to live out of my car in a week type of low is so much better in context when I'm like here sitting with you guys talking, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I feel good. It takes a lot for me to feel low. And I like that. And so the advice ultimately is make every day a surprise and make sure that your life is a surprise. Like don't get a job that you don't like. It's not worth it. Like I, I encourage everybody to just take a second after either before they go to college or after they graduate to just be like a person for a second and not be like, I gotta be on time for this. I gotta go to this interview. I gotta do this. Cause I was a part, I was in that lifestyle and it's really kind of wicked the way that big universities like this will take you out of high school and be like, deadline, 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 deadline. You have to move to here. You have to live on campus. You have to live with these people. You have to take these classes if you want to do that major. If you switch your major two years, you have to go another two years. And you're just like constantly like, uh, what? And you're never like aware of even what you like. <laughs> you know? You're just like going of like, I think that's the thing that will get that part of my consciousness satisfied. So that's probably good enough. And you're never really aware of the decisions that you're making. You're just sort of making them based on who you were <laughs> in the past. Yeah. And um, a lot of people, it seems like, can't differentiate between, you know, what they think they should be doing rather than what they want to do, you know? Because everybody goes yeah. through the motions. They're like, oh, like, I should be going to school just so I, like, should be able to get this job in the future. But, like, are you wanting to do that? That's and a question like everybody I, should ask themselves. Yeah, and it's like, do, yes, do you want it? But, like, are you even thinking about it if you want it? Yeah. Like, are you actually just being a zombie right now and just doing it? Like, that's really strange. And from somebody that has stepped outside of society and has very much felt like a, an outlaw of sorts of, like, traditional, you know, like, contemporary society, yeah. it's so fucking strange to me when I look at a person in a job and that's like, I've been doing for 20 years, been doing the same thing every day, go to the same building, drive the same car. I'm like, why, dude? Like, sick that you did that, but you are, are you like, really? You're mm-hmm. going to do the same thing. It's so hard to do the same thing every single I day. I just don't understand it. And, I, there, and there's a courage to it. I get that when, and I've experienced like my parents, like, you're like, I'm going to go to this job because I have to provide for my family. There's a courage in that I don't have. And I think it's because I saw it, but also, you know, having touched what the opposite feels like, it, you just can't go back at that point. So I kind of want to just a little shift the conversation a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so one kind of quote, I think it's from Dead Poe's aside or something. He talked about how, uh, how the, like, sciences and all this stuff are noble pursuits. You know, that's what keeps society moving forward. Mm-hmm. But arts, um, that's what it's about living is for, mm-hmm. you know? And what do you say is like the role of arts in society and why do you view it as important? Um, I envision society without art as grayscale 
meaning like it's very it's perfectly functional and it's perfectly ordered and people survive and people exist and they're happy almost like those fake utopias you see in books and yeah kind of like the giver i don't know if you guys have read the giver at all Mm -hmm. that's exactly what i thought of right when you said that. yeah um and arts put color in everything so like yes the society is functional and it's important to have structure Mm -hmm. but ultimately the color is the reason that you want to wake up and i think to me the the role of art in society is to give color to shit that sucks and shit that's dope at the same time, mm. simultaneously, exclusively, whatever it may be. It just depends on the medium. But I, um, I like, the giver is always the thing I kind of refer to in this conversation because for the giver, like the giver in the book, his role is We're to... We're spoil the shit out of this. Yeah, you should have read it by now. <laughs> I think it was part of sixth grade curriculum. I think, grade I, curriculum. I was about to say, yeah, I think everybody now, had to read it. Also a movie if you don't yeah, want to read the book. Uh, no, the but book. his like role is to provide counsel because he holds the memories mm-hmm. as like his thing. But like it's very obvious that he holds color, which is strange. Like you don't even really realize it when you're reading it as a young person. But you're like this old dude carries all the memories and with it color because you only experience color meaning like true like saturation of like a beautiful like plant or like the sun or the moon or the stars or something anything you only really can understand the beauty of it when you can experience like the light waves of it because you you realize that first of all it's absurd that you can even see it mm. in color Mm-hmm. But also it gives it this personality. It gives it like life. And like a you know, a big field of flowers that's grayscale is a hell of a lot less impactful than a than a colorful field of flowers. Like it's a different emotional state that you're subjected to. So I think ultimately the best thing that any person can do with themselves ever is to surround themselves by good art, surround themselves with art that makes them see color. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be pottery or painting or music or film or all four uh, or three or whatever. I just think that it's, it's a very easy thing to label as not necessary, but it's also, I just think in every dystopian novel, in every real situation, in real life, in real politics, where there's a dictatorship or an authoritative regime, the first thing they go after is the arts because they know how important it is. Isn't that weird? It's always books. It's always music. It's always censorship. The best artists get their paintings burned. They're like all their shit banned because there's a reason. There's a reason. There's definitely a reason. Whether it be fiction or reality, it's always the first thing that somebody that is authoritative is like, no, we got to get rid of that right now. We got to get rid of that right now. We got to get rid of that right now because it's dangerous to us. And it's because it makes you realize that the color is there with or without somebody that is making you scared. Mm -hmm. So... It's sort of the subtle reminder that life is okay. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the ultimate lesson. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and thank you, Noah, for that wonderful conversation. Make sure you guys follow us on Instagram at Let's Build an Airplane and on Twitter at Build an Airplane. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Let's Build an Airplane.